If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Is in all the Bibles found here in the third chapter, so we, we will cover that as well. Um, I've titled this particular chapter uh, Jesus the Son because it's going to focus on the beloved Son of God in early chapters. But this is the first of seven sermons, if you will, discourses. Uh, you've got the new birth, the harvest, the Sabbath, the bread of life, the living water, witnesses, and then the sheep of his fold. Where he talks about him as the good shepherd, which is one of the uh, one of the metaphors he uses of himself. But this all leads to the fact that Jesus is, of course, the Messiah, and he's leaving this instruction, all these teachings, to his apostles, so that they, once they are filled with the Holy Spirit, will be able to then, in turn, share all these stories with others. And so that's why John is able to record them in such great detail, as he has the Holy Spirit uh, in a miraculous way helping him write. And uh, this is one of the neatest little sermons that Jesus preaches, and it is specifically aimed at one person, even though there may have been others in the room, like John, who heard the message. So uh, this first section really has three parts. Uh, it, it, it emphasizes the work of the Son of God, then the coming kingdom, and then why God's love uh, is important to, to bring about those two things, the coming of Christ and the coming of his church. They really like to be studied in those those sections. So we'll do our, our best to do that. God operates. There 70 or 72 there. Uh, the Congress and the Supreme Court put together in one. Uh, they would make judgment. Uh, the high priest would have a part in uh, saying if someone needed to be put to death, say, or given some discipline. Uh, they had to have witnesses present uh, in court cases. And so that's the high council. But there was a part of the high council that was made up of Pharisees. And these are the ones that are they're called the separated ones. They, they kind of see themselves as their own religious entity within Judaism. So they have their own laws, their own um, uh, teachings, rabbis from that school that taught Pharisaical things. And Jesus, when he preaches, he occasionally will hit the Sadducees or the Zealots. Or this, but mostly he preaches against the Pharisees because they're supposed to be the holiest of all and they were the hypocritical ones. So he wants, instead of Jesus giving him an outright answer, he preaches a sermon to him. And I do believe, and I'll say this a couple times, that this was the moment of clarity. If, if, if Nicodemus did not decide to become a follower of Jesus here, by chapter 8 and 9, he is. So I think this is where you know, the story you mentioned early in the gospel is because he became a follower of Christ. I believe that. 
uh, that's my opinion, but I think that when you see the events that take place, and it's him defending Jesus in the middle part of John, and then him going to anoint the body with spices at the very end of John tells come from God. For no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus said to him, uh, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Uh, first of all, why is birth necessary? What's the reasoning behind the new birth? Another question, who needs it? Is it just Nicodemus, or is it all of humanity? Uh, what is the new birth? How do, how do you do it? How can we be born again? And then the question really ultimately is, do we believe that it is necessary for us uh, to be born again? So those questions are Nicodemus in the story. You're asking Jesus, what do I need to do? Now, he doesn't say, what do I need to do to be saved? He asked, what do I need to do to become a believer? What, can you prove to me that you are the Messiah? And Jesus says, look, if I'm doing miracles in front of you, it doesn't matter what kind of spiritual stuff I come with, you're not going to believe it either. And maybe as powerful as his actions. Because I can stand up, or you can stand up and tell people that we're the Messiah, we're the Son of God, but if we can't perform miracles, why, what does that have to do with him seeing Jesus as a great teacher? Well, Jesus is showing a connection between the bride and the groom. And John the Baptizer was the bridegroom. He's the one who is supposed to um, be the master, if you will, of the feast, or the one who conducts the wedding party uh, events. And so Jesus is the groom, and the church is the bride, and you can't have one without the other. So when Jesus came into the world, the intention was not just to do miracles. That was to show him he's the Messiah. Jesus' work, and that's the reason why he has to prove himself. Um, you know, he could have just done one or two miracles, but he did literally probably thousands of miracles. Uh, but so these are the questions kind of we have to answer for ourselves in the text. Now let's talk about the the the, the idea of baptism. That is not a new concept, would you? Uh, if, if we think that baptism was something that uh, was invented by John the Baptizer or by Jesus, that's incorrect. They practice a mikvah. This is a proselyte baptism. So if you decide you want to convert to Christianity, you are to be fully immersed head to toe. Mikvah pools. This is one of the reasons why Peter is able to baptize, or the apostles are able to baptize nearly 3,000 people, or he's probably preaching on the steps. There are mikvah pools. So they're literally baptizing while he's continuing to preach. And that, that gives you a whole thing to uh, And it's not ironic, by the way, that it identifies the new birth. And John is going to show us in the next two chapters that these disciples were baptizing. It says that they can be baptized in, in no uncertain terms. And then they just 
baptism. And it's not for Gentiles. These are Jews. They were born Jews. They didn't need a mikvah bath. They didn't need a cleansing. And Jesus is saying, you got to be born again and born anew, born from above. And so they start practicing the baptism. The pool. Yeah. Is that the, what you're saying? For, for new converts, we might say. The cleansing rituals that they went through, like in, say, John 2, when they turned the water into wine, those are more of a, having a, a special sink. We would say, you know, have you, you ever seen the uh, mud rooms in houses where you come in, take your shoes off, you coat your, cleanse your body, and go in? These mikvah pools were specifically like our baptistries. They had baptistries. Wherever they went to go do proselyte uh, conversions, they needed a mikvah. This was basically a kind of like an unwritten rule, if you will, for becoming a Jew. And it wasn't used a lot, but they were there. And so when John's baptizing in the wilderness, it wasn't like, what is this crazy guy doing? It's just he's bringing people to God. Um, some of them were Jew, Jews only by birth and not by a religious uh, standpoint. There's some like the Samaritans that are half Jews that did not practice Judaism like God had commanded it. And so these, this is an opportunity for them to start over. It's like a fresh new start. There are probably people that followed Jesus that had uh, experienced this religious Pharisee. Like he's telling someone who is a great Pharisee, a great Sadducean, or a Sanhedrin member. And he's saying, you need to go bathe with the Gentiles. So that's a little bit of a shock to his system. Uh, anybody know why he mentions water and spirit? Personalized gift, the infilling of the Holy Spirit happens at baptism. That's the reason why uh, the words are somewhat different, but the meaning is exactly the same. Jesus says you're going to be born of water and spirit to be in the kingdom. So when Peter's supposed to preach, he's got the keys of the kingdom. Jesus uses those terms interchangeably in Matthew 16. So in Acts 2, he says, uh, when they ask what we need to be saved, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism and the Holy Spirit, same here, born of water and spirit. And uh, not just being born of water, like the mikvah pool would be used for, but instead, be born of water and be filled with spirit. Yeah. It also refers to faith. I've lived in Tennessee, I've lived in Alabama, I've lived in Michigan, I've lived in Idaho. And I can tell you, everywhere I go, there's always somebody that I meet that is in ministry, regardless of their... I have a guy in North Alabama who's raised in the church and teach it so I get a good faith. Oh, man. That's dangerous. Um, sure is. That was a good thing. Uh-huh. They walked him down. I don't know. I've, I've done some research on that, I'm trying to figure out what they what they say, you know. And I don't know that we have an exact phrase or anything like that. They would just say, you know, we're practicing a proselyte baptism, and they would baptize him right back up. 
because there's really no foundation in the Old Testament for it. So they may have had a phrase or a statement that they made as they did it, but they, I don't think they confessed the name of God. Um, they may have said, do you at this point commit to following the, the law or something? But we don't know. But we know that they used them frequently. So it wasn't a shock when... But the other thing, too, that John's doing is different. Is he's not going to the temples and the synagogues to... Even to this very day, uh, it's kind of like the... Well, in most medicine, modern-day medicine, in fact, this one right here, you'll see on the side of our ambulances here in Summerdale. And all of them have a serpent on a pole. Now, why is that? Because that is a reference to the Old Testament and then putting the snake up on the pole. And so, every, like the World Health Organization, all of these, if you go to a doctor's office, they all have snakes and poles. So even to this very day, that, that idea of healing coming from the Bible is still used because people see that and they go, oh, that must mean help is on the way. So uh, I wanted to point that out. But anyways, the new birth is based on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So all he's doing is pointing forward. Uh, he's telling them you need to be baptized, but he's pointing them to the cross. Um, and then when it comes to baptism in the New Testament, it requires a lot of water. You have to go down into the water. You're buried. You're planted. And these are all in your notes. Uh, washing. So you wash completely clean. Uh, it requires a birth, which we've already emphasized, and then requires a resurrection, so you don't go down to the water and drown. Right? We've had baptism yesterday. I said, man, the water is cold. But I'm going to pull you up as fast as I can. So, uh, but it requires uh, a being raised up. And I love that illustration with, with baptism. And then, what does baptism do? Well, it's a, as has been said, it's an act of obedience. It is, a, it is us fulfilling the command of God. Uh, it saves us from our sins. gives us remission of sins, completely remitted, completely taken away. We're added to the church. Uh, again, completely washed away sin. It gets us into Christ. starts our new walk. When you're born, you have to relearn how to walk. Uh, baptism also puts us as a new creature, allows us to put on Christ, and seals our adoption as a child of God. So you can say you want to follow Jesus, but until you're reborn, you're not his child. And this is why baptism is heavily emphasized. I saw a guy posted yesterday or the day before. He's posted a few controversial things this year, and I think he's figured out it gets him more attention. But he posted uh, something about, well, why are we always doing first principles stuff? You know, like, why are we always teaching first principles? Well, because salvation is the most, baptism is the most important thing you'll do in your whole life. So, of course, we're going to emphasize it every service. I mean, it's, it is the single most important decision. And even if everybody in the room has been baptized, the emphasis of its importance is so that one day if somebody in that audience falls away or if they're trying to teach somebody, they're reminded. That's why the Lord suffers every Sunday. I mean, why, did, why is it commanded on the first day of every week? Because it is a weekly reminder that Jesus died on the cross for us, and now we live in Christ. So uh, I know there's literally dozens and dozens of verses on baptism in the Bible, but, but I figured you might want that little list to help us. That's, that's what baptism does for us. Um, let's also focus on verses 16 through 21. Now, people will use and abuse John 3.16. Uh, I do not like, there's a couple translations. I don't like the way they've translated it. Um, NIV is an example where instead of saying uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
they changed the word to shall not perish. And there's a difference between should and shall. So if I say, you know, I should have a piece of pie, doesn't mean I'm going to eat a piece of pie. But I should, because it's good. But if I, sh I shall eat a piece of pie, you know, that means, well, I'm going to eat it. But it goes back to the, the language used in the text, and the text is very clear that the, the process of salvation is available to you, and you should take advantage of it, but some, unfortunately, will not. So the word is should. You should not perish. You should not die eternally. Uh, also, that emphasizes those that are already in Christ can fall away, because you should be saved. But you can do things that, you know, get you out of... Um, the, the safety and security of salvation. You can fall from grace. Uh, and so I think there's three, four things here. The initiative, the incarnation, that's why Jesus came, the invitation, and the indwelling. These are things that he's emphasizing in chapter 3. If you're born again, this is kind of the gospel in miniature. So if you're born again, and, it, and this is another thing too, I, I know I'm chasing a little rabbit, but bear with me. I don't know how anybody can read John 3.16 and say, well, that's what's necessary for salvation and nothing else. When you just rewind a couple verses and Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want to be saved, you've got to be born again of water and spirit. So if believing is all that's necessary, then either Jesus intentionally misled Nicodemus or that was only for Nicodemus and not for the world. Because he tells Nicodemus you've got to be born of water and spirit to be saved. So here when he says... You know, God so loved the world. This is an emphasis on Jesus' mission. But this is not a singular thing for salvation. Belief is not enough for salvation. If so, um, I'm not going to do it. I know Brandon did it one time in a sermon. But you can just take that book of James and just rip it right on out of your Bible. If you believe that you don't have to do anything but believe and have faith, then you don't need... In fact, you might as well, while you're ripping, rip Romans out too. You're not going to like that one. Yeah. That's the dangers of taking any one scripture out of the Bible and putting yep. emphasis on it. That's right. I watch Westerns all the time. And every Western where there's somebody has been killed, they'll quote a verse. It's an eye for an eye. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, they put, and I wonder, how did they ever find that verse in the Bible? I uh -huh. Eye for an eye, too. It's kind of like a, I have a, a lesson I did one time for Shakespeare. And, and I did a little questionnaire in the bulletin. And um, my favorite one, one of the most misquoted, misunderstood, is uh, Spare the Rod and Spoil the Child. Bible or Shakespeare? That's Shakespeare. That doesn't say that in the Bible. The Bible says if you love your child, you don't spare the rod. It says don't spare the rod of correction. But it doesn't say spare the rod and spoil the child. That's Shakespeare. So sometimes phrases, I had somebody say, well, you know, you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul. I'm like, well, that's not in the Bible either. You know? uh, I don't even think that would be justified in the Bible. So um, there are times things get misused. And John 3.16 is a beautiful verse, and it gives a lot of hope to a lot of people. But it is not the singular verse on salvation. It's one step. And, you know, answer this, too. And if you have somebody who believes that all you got to do is have faith, you just believe Jesus is the Son of God, or, or believe in God, then uh, I know this is sensitive because what's going on in the world. But if all you have to do is believe in God to be saved, then aren't Jews also believers in God? Yeah. I'll take you a step further. This is going to hurt. Islam is also a monotheistic religion that believes in only one God. Yeah. So if you believe in God and you're saved, 
then just about everybody. Hindus believe in God. They believe in a plethora of gods, but they believe in God. Uh, Buddhists believe in a, in a God. Uh, so basically, we're all saved. Well, Satan believes in God. Yeah. Yeah, the demons believe in God. Yeah. These don't believe in the Son of God. Exactly. But all the Right. Well, that's You don't have to be here. Oh, why do you go to church? You're saved. You know? Yeah. Why, well, I mean, you don't even need to read your Bible. You just, I believe there's a God. Great. I'm going to heaven. And I can live however I want the rest of my life. And item four that you have up there is terribly misunderstood by many, many different religious people. They want to feel it. Yeah. If God is dwelling in me, I ought to be able to right. feel it. Mm -hmm. I had a guy at one time, I probably shouldn't tell this, but we're all family, so. But I had a guy, <laughs> I had a guy who came to me one time, I was preaching in North Alabama, and he came to me and he's like, well, you know, I have the Holy Spirit. I go, really, you do? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah I do have the Holy Spirit. And I said, uh, how do you know? How do you know? And he said, boy, you know, sometimes I get those goose pimples, you know. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, if you get those goose pimples, if you get, that means the Spirit is about to move and do something. And I said, well, that's interesting. And I said, explain to me how it feels. And he said, well, you know. And he said, you just see your arm. And you just, and I said, well, man, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I must be a lot, really full of spirit. So I get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. And that toilet seat's cold. I get those goosebumps. And I mean, oh, my goodness. He about died. But I said, if you believe, if you believe that having these little spots on your body are causing you to be full of the Holy Spirit, then every time you walk out on a cold morning, every time that water turns cold in the shower, every time you get those little goose pimples, as he called them, you're full of the Holy Spirit. He didn't take that very well, but his wife said it was a wonderful illustration. Um, she thought it was great because every time he got those feelings, he thought he was full of the Holy Spirit. And um, I told him also, when we were having a more uh, detailed conversation about it, I said, there are people online that you can watch or on TV, and they run their heads into walls, and they, um, you know, they fall down on the ground, and they, they jump around, and they run the aisles, and some of them will fall back. One of the big ones is there's this one, it's the laughing spirit, so that he'll like pass over a crowd, and they start laughing uncontrollably, and he'll pass over somebody else. And uh, it's meant for show. It's totally meant for show. Uh, and and so that is the opposite of what Jesus is representing here. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're doing spiritual things. And, and you can't just say, I get the Spirit now and I didn't have it earlier. The Holy Spirit is supposed to dwell in you continually as a seal of your salvation. But yet the emotionalism aspect is one of the reasons, primary reasons. Uh, somebody told me yesterday, we were having a conversation about this, and he said um, one of the things that he worries about is a lot of churches are focusing on the emotional element. They're intentionally focusing on the emotional element. They will pick certain songs that are repetitive enough that it gets you to the point that you just kind of get into this, this mode. And so they will, they will intentionally use lighting. They will intentionally use uh, uh, dress, certain outfits and things that the preacher wears. They will use um, music. They use all those things to work you up into kind of an emotional frenzy uh, and gospel. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having good lighting or and nothing wrong with the preacher dressing a certain way, but if you're trying to do it to manipulate an audience, 
then uh, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. We we don't force people to be saved. We don't. If you if the gospel is not enough to convince you, then there's nothing I could say. I mean, you've got to be convicted and pricked in your heart. So we have to be careful not to get too emotional. Now, I cry during songs. I do. There, there are some I can't help it. I, there's a couple, and and I've told uh, Nathan Orlando this too. If you sing this before I get up, I might get up. Um, and I'm pretty good. I can hold it together. But there's a couple songs that just, man, they just hit me just right. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely normal. But if the leaders of the church are intentionally trying to manipulate people by structuring all of the worship to get you to do a particular thing. You watch these churches on TV. They will do all that emotional element, and then they'll take an offering. And so you're kind of in this emotional phase where you're... You know, and they're like, you know, you're throwing out your money to these people. So we've got to be careful that there's a, a really good balance between truth and spirit. Um, and then he also says, you know, there's going to be people that, that don't want to come into the light. They refuse to come to light because they don't want their deeds to be exposed. So there are people that will stay away from religious practices because they know it will show the differences between their walk and someone else's. Um, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Do you know I used to heal people? Did you? Yeah. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I put one of them oral roberts. Mm -hmm. I had one of those things that's like a ring. You put it on your finger, you yeah. wind it up. Yeah. And then you can pat yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like buzz. Yeah. And then you got that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we need those on the pews, you know. So once in a while, everybody kind of, whoa, what's that? Um, yeah. Couple pews if those guys would fall asleep. Um, we used to have one here. He's gone, bless his heart. But he he'd fall asleep almost every Sunday. And one time Ken was preaching and he let out a snore. Oh my goodness, it was hilarious. And uh, I told him, I said, "Man, are you tired? No, no, I'm not tired." But um, yeah, just rest his eyes. Yeah, you can rest your eyes, but you got to rest that mouth too. Cause, yeah, that's not really. I'm sorry, but you ain't resting no eyes. You, I, that's called sleep. Um, either that or you got some kind of a cold. Uh, any other thoughts on those verses before we move to the next section? All right, let's look at verse 22. We'll read through to the end. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. If you don't have that underline, you need to do that. Because this verse shows us that in the early parts of Jesus' ministry, he was teaching baptism. That's what he says to Nicodemus, so it makes sense that he would practice it, right? So if Jesus says you've got to be born of water and spirit, and then he's practicing baptism, now we will find out more about this baptism as we go along. Uh, it says, now Jesus, or pardon me, now John, who was also baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So you have two groups out teaching and preaching in the wilderness. And John had not yet been thrown in prison. So that's John the Beloved giving you a little note in your scripture that, that there's something bad coming for this guy. Uh, verse 25, And there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. It's like Barbara mentioned a minute ago. The baptism, like the mikvah baptism and the purification rituals are two different things. But the, uh, the idea of coming and washing your hands and all that, Jesus' disciples didn't practice a lot of that. Jesus told them that wasn't necessary, that the outside was not as important as the inside. So they'll be, be griping when they don't fast, and they'll be griping when they don't wash their hands like they're supposed to. So that purification is meant for a separate purpose. So there's all these arguments about purity and holiness. 
And they came to John and, and asked him, they said, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. I think this is an intention of provoking John to, to work against Jesus. But don't forget that they're cousins. They're family. So uh, he's not going to go against him. Instead, they get a speech. But they're saying to him, Rabbi, which is interesting because he doesn't look like a rabbi. He does not claim to be a rabbi, but he is a prophet. And they say, you know that guy you baptized? Well, he's out here starting his own thing, and everybody's going to him instead. So John, verse 27, and you've got to love the humility. He said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I say, earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen, God has sent, speaks of God, for God has given the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son, then there is uh, no salvation available to you. You'll see and experience the wrath of God. But he also says, yes, I was baptizing people, but my ministry is coming to an end. It is time for his ministry to begin. Now, there's a little bit of confusion if you're reading John 3, and it's really for us to read all the chapters back to back, is the very next verse in chapter 3, when you go overseas, uh, some people prefer for the American uh, missionary to baptize them, because they think that that's better than the local. So when I do mission work, I would always say, I want the local ministry. I want, um, in fact, I, I was really excited yesterday. So, um, but, and that's awesome to be able to baptize people and to bring them to progress to make sure that they stay inside the kingdom. And sadly, some of those have walked away. Uh, they have left. Some almost immediately after their baptism. We didn't hear from them again. And so it can be misleading to say, you know, we, we baptize all these people. Yeah, but not all of them are faithful. Maybe only about 30 of those are faithful to that's the reason why there's probably about 120 uh, in that upper room on Pentecost. They were followers that not all had practiced the baptism uh, in the wilderness, or if they had, it was a temporary baptism. It's probably just like the Ethiopian or the uh, the thief on the cross. He may have been baptized by John, uh, and we don't know whether he was or not. But he seems to be like the kind of guys John baptized, because that's that's what uh, the text tells us in chapter one. Yeah. tuning in to today's broadcast, be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580.
or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.